all of us acknowledge, yes, we do need to change the food system. Now, on the one hand, we need to produce more food because the world population will start growing to, let's say, 10 billion people in 2050. So we need to double the food production. And on the other hand, we need to half, at least half our emissions. So we need to become four times as ecologically efficient. And we can only do that by really changing the food system. But that comes at a price. And that price is external to the system. So we need to internalize that price. That's putting a price to carbon in order to make the change happen. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. Welcome back to Demystifying the Carbon Markets on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Grilly, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Our guest today is Barbara Barsma, CEO of the Rabo Carbon Bank and a professor of applied economics at the University of Amsterdam. Rabo Carbon Bank is working with clients to accelerate sustainable food production through regenerative farming and other initiatives that reduce and remove carbon emissions from the atmosphere. And we'll be talking with Barbara about how they're making that happen today. Hello, Barbara. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Thank you, David. I'm really looking forward to uh, having this conversation with you. Oh, so am I. And I wanted to start off with last year when you were the chair of Rabobank Amsterdam, you became the CEO of a new business initiative, the Rabo Carbon Bank. I've often heard you say that Rabo Carbon Bank is a, a bank where not money, but carbon is the currency. What do you mean by that? And where did the idea for the carbon bank come from? Well, the Rabo Carbon Bank puts a price tag on the sustainable contribution that farmers and food change can make to combating climate change and changing the food system by reducing greenhouse gas emissions in those food and agriculture change and by absorbing carbon in the soils and trees. And those contributions are currently not priced on a market. So we set up, uh, let's say, a surrogate market where the carbon is actually the currency. We put a price tag on something that is currently external to the market. And we thereby aim to transform those vital sustainability efforts into commercially viable projects. That's great. And as you said, the, the carbon bank is, at least currently, focused on removal of carbon from the atmosphere through the adoption of regenerative agriculture. Uh, why the emphasis on agriculture? Our bank is one of the largest food and ag banks in the world. We are a cooperative. We were founded over 125 years ago. And it was in the late 19th century that very inventive farmers and horticulturalists in the Netherlands, they combined actually their strength in what came to be our cooperative bank. They are not stockholders of the bank, but members of the cooperative. And together, what they did is they sought... Um, for structural uh, solutions for the challenges they had that day. 
And we are actually doing the same thing nowadays, but then in 38 countries. And our international focus is still, as were our, found, were our founders, focused on the food and agri-sector. And being a large food and ag bank, we also feel responsible for making the sector more sustainable. And your previous questions, you asked me, carbon is the currency, eh? not money. And perhaps if we talk about the transition to a more sustainable agriculture, then perhaps it's nice to say that our main aim is putting that price tag on carbon. And financing the transition, like most regular banks would do, is secondary to that. We don't have this regular uh, financial balance sheet, but we take actually the global carbon balance sheet as a starting point. If, if I may say something about that, because it's this, this carbon balance sheet is is very well. It it helps to also explain what we are doing. Is that okay? Oh, I'd love to hear more about the global carbon balance sheet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you? <laughs> well, well, no. That this is not a very nice story, actually. But every year. Um, we emit over 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents, greenhouse gases, into the atmosphere. And what most people don't know is that over a quarter of those emissions actually comes from the food and ag sector. So making a difference in that sector really also makes a difference when it comes to those uh, emissions. But once in the atmosphere, all of those over 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents about 60% remains in the atmosphere um, and about 40% is absorbed back uh, by the earth. So on the one hand, agriculture emits a lot of greenhouse gases, but, and hey, here's the good news, land and forests has the capacity to take out some of those greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide equivalents, and take them from the atmosphere into the soils and the forests. And this is really important. The carbon bank works at both sides of that carbon balance. So both on reduction, of course, that's the most important, having less emissions into the atmosphere, but also on the other side where uh, we take from the atmosphere and put it in soils and trees. You could also put it, by the way, in an other natural carbon sink, that is oceans, but we don't do that currently as Rabo Carbon Bank. There are other parties doing that. But it's important to know that we work on both sides of the carbon balance. And it's also very important to work on both sides. Yes, I already told you that reduction is the most important. But the other one, if we, even if we would start reducing carbon dioxide equivalents 100% today, we would not emit any more greenhouse gases today. There is still so much greenhouse gas in the atmosphere that we would still warm up. Warm up. So we should really work on both sides. And that's what we are doing. That's terrific. And, you know, as you said, for a long time, for probably generations, thinking about carbon, you know, it wasn't priced for farmers. It was external to the market. And so the farming practices over the years in many parts of the world have become much more industrial and not really focused on regenerative practices. And I'm curious, how open are farmers to changing their practices to be more sustainable and to become what you call carbon farmers? Well, um, most farmers, they really would like to have a more sustainable way of farming because most farmers, they have to compete on a global market. Uh, they are a price taker. 
They can't show all of their sustainability efforts. So it's impossible for them now to have a decent price for what they, if they would transfer to sustainable farming. That's why it's so important that we put an extra income stream towards the farming, to, to the, towards the farmer, so that they are indeed able to make that transition. But perhaps it's good to tell you first a little bit about what the Rabo Carbon Bank is doing. So, as I told you before, we work on both sides of the, of the carbon balance. All of our solutions are at this point in time nature-based. That means uh, based on trees, crops, soils, the capacity to sequester carbon. Uh, we work closely with farmers in everything that we do. And we have, let's say, three propositions. The first is carbon farming. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. The other one is a reduction proposition where we work with all of the partners in the supply chain, food corporates, farmers, farm input organizations, and so on. And we decarbonize those supply chains and there we don't have removal credits. So removal from the atmosphere into soils of, or trees. But So it's not credits, but it's reduction units. Very much the same way as your credits. I, I can tell you more about it if you want to. And the other is uh, trees for farmers. I will come back to that later. But please know that, to your question, many farmers, they want to make the transition to regenerative farming. But what we hear from them, if we talk to them, is that they have trouble making the shift because they lack both the knowledge and the income streams, the, the money to make the transition. What we were talking about earlier, that land can absorb greenhouse gases. Well, please know that the potential of soils of, of agricultural soils to store carbon is immense. Globally, it's over 2,400 billion tons. So farmers are literally standing on top of the solution. They're not the problem, they're part of the solution. But in order to un unlock that potential, they need to change their way of farming. And how are they going to do that? Well, for instance, if you look at one of the, the regenerative practices that we have on uh, that we discuss uh, with our with our farmers, it's uh, non-tillage. So by not breaking up the land through tillage, soil is let's say undisturbed and allowed to regenerate and thrive. And the second one is using cover crops. So planting let's say native cover crops between a farmer's regular cash crop and and planting. Uh, keeps the soil covered uh, with living roots the year round. And that's really important to have a healthier soil with higher biodiversity and also with this higher absorption capacity for, for carbon. The other is crop rotation, switching out the crop uh, the crops in different fields in a coordinated sequence, uh, both to reduce the loss of nutrients that occur when the same crop is planted over and over again, like monoculture. But next to that, there's also reduced inputs, reducing the application of fertilizers and chemicals and thereby enhancing, actually, um, the natural cycle of nutrients. And that also helps to reduce the emission, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Well, anyhow, no matter what, which of these methods are employed, it will take a few years for the soil to improve to the extent that it will indeed be able to uh, absorb more carbon. So... If it takes a few more years, then what we need to do is also pre-finance. And there, we, luckily, we are a bank, although financing in the, let's say, traditional way is not our aim in the first place. No, aim is to put a price tag on carbon. But if it helps to pre-finance those credits, then we'll do so, and we have done so. So to answer your question, I think that 
we need to help the farmers in a way that really, and this is a bit in Dutch, we have this beautiful word, but in English it would say something like, we have to take the burden of the shoulders of the farmers and make sure that they have this one-stop shop where they can have everything from agronomic advice to monitoring, to the protocols, to the certification, to everything there is to know. And so that they are unburdened. I don't know if that's an English word, but it's the translation from the Dutch. So this one-stop shop for carbon farming, we have that. Of course, we work together with many partners because we're, hey, just bankers. But we have economic advisors, we have remote sensing companies, we have the protocoling, the project developers, and so on. We work with them together. And together we facilitate the generation, the monitoring, and the certification of those carbon credits. And then we can sell them. And we can sell them to corporates who are also client of the bank. So we're in this unique position where we have, on the one hand, the farmers, and on the other hand, the food corporates that want to buy those credits. It's so much more than, you know, what we think of as the typical banking relationship, right? It's so much more than lending. It's taking the longer view. It's creating a network and an ecosystem of farmers, bankers, environmental specialists, the people that are looking for the the carbon reduction credits. And when I think about it, you know, you told me that recently the Rabo Carbon Bank sold its first Dutch credits as part of a pilot project to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by farmers. And I was hoping you could walk us through that transaction and what were some of the challenges in making it happen? I imagine that's a pretty big level of coordination amongst all these members of your ecosystem. Well, it certainly was, David, because we're imagine the Rabo Carbon Bank is like one and a half years we started this. We're still in an innovation stage. So we are a startup within this huge global bank. And what this actually were those credits that we sold last week, uh, the first credits to be sold on Dutch soil. That was part of our, our pilots in the US, where we work with corn and soy farmers, and in the Netherlands, where we work with uh, dairy farmers. So what we did is in June 2021, we spoke to those dairy farmers and U.S. farmers doing corn and soy uh, crops, and they received uh, pre-finance and advance payment from the Rabo Carbon Bank to make the operations already more sustainable and to actually pre-finance the credits and revenues that, that we only received now. And since then, what they've done in the U.S., the corn and soy farmers, they've used cover crops, the non-tillage, and so on. And what we've done is we had to monitor it. We had also in advance to make sure that the farmers were even interested, we had to do soil sampling and make predictions on how much we thought that using those regenerative farming practices, they would be able to absorb. And please know that one ton of carbon per hectare extra, so it's a marginal influx that counts, is one carbon credit, one removal credit, removal from the atmosphere in the soil. And the same applies to those dairy farmers. They can use their their grassland in a different way and so herb-rich grasses and so on, and also sequester more carbon in those soils. We also gave them this pre-finance. And and what we did then was once we knew what how many had the number of credits they would be able to generate by using those regenerative farming practices, We also found the businesses, the the corporates that were willing to pay for these quite unique credits. Perhaps we can go into detail. It's, it's, there are many credits that you can buy out on the, uh, that you can buy on the market, 
but these credits are really high quality and they are also a little bit more expensive than the than the, the regular let's say renewable energy credits well to be eligible for those very high quality uh, carbon credits we as Rabo Carbon Bank also impose requirements on the businesses, the corporates that we work with, our off-takers. They all have to commit to carbon dioxide reductions in their own business operations and in the supply chain. So it's not that we, 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 we sell those credits to corporates so that they can take the easy, the easy route, so to say. No, no. We look whether they have this very proactive reduction of scope one, two, and three um, uh, schedules, and then merely for the uh, emissions that they are not able to avoid yet, they can buy those uh, removal credits to compensate for that. So we're still in the pilot phase. We're entering the second year now. The pilot will take for, will take three years, and still very exciting. And what we did is, well, we hope that, oh, yeah, this is important to, to tell you, that 90% of the money that we earned with those selling the credits, that actually went to the farmers. And we're after, uh, once we've learned enough from those pilots, we hope to go to market. So go out of the innovation funnel and actually go to market, scale up, and then we'll enter, well, then we'll go from startup to scale up, and then we'll we'll be able, hopefully, to to work with all of the corn and soy farmers that do non-tillage and, and cover crops in the US, work with many dairy farmers across the globe and so on. It's a very, it's a very exciting times. And this was really a step for us selling those credits to also show the market, yes, we can do it. So to put more trust in these markets, because the voluntary carbon markets, especially those nature-based soil sequestered uh, solutions, it's still not at all mature, and therefore it's important to sh- to give these signals to the market, and that's actually what we did. Right, and so much of finding the proof of the concept, finding the you know almost the experiment, like okay, we we do it this way, we use these methodologies, this works, and then the ever important scaling up. You know, can we get this to a, a size where it's going to make a real impact and a real real difference in terms of climate change? And, you know, one thing we've been emphasizing in the series is the importance of intermediaries uh, like the Carbon Bank in making these markets work. I think a lot of people understand the project developers, the carbon farmers, people understand those who are trying to use the, the credits to help in their own net zero commitments. But as an intermediary, you know, the Carbon Bank, you're responsible for both monitoring the impact of a farmer's efforts and issuing carbon credits uh, reflecting those. Of course, you know, quality is so important in these markets. Uh, There's such a differential of quality of different credits that are out there. And there's such a, you know, so much concern about are credits accepted as credible? No one wants to be accused of greenwashing. It's probably one of the biggest risks in these markets right now. And so I'm curious, how do you approach trying to make these credits accepted as credible what methodologies do you use what's what's your what's your approach to that now we, we work together with many partners and we also have a third party that actually validates what we are doing at this point in time the credits are not yet certified but in the future our aim is to get them certified um, there are 
by the way, not many soil sequestered credits that have been certified up until now. That's also a, a, a sign of how complicated this matter is. But still, we believe in the beauty of the solution. Why? Because I think that carbon credits, uh, carbon farming is so incredibly powerful. There is a triple dividend, or perhaps even, um, how do we say that in, in English, but a, a fourth part dividend. Well, it, first of all, like we talked before, it, it generates a revenue stream for farmers, for them to be able to make the transition. It also results in less carbon di uh, dioxide equivalents that go into the atmosphere. So it's not just soil sequestration, but it's also less emissions, uh, for instance, by non-tillage or using no uh, less fertilizer. So it also helps directly to counter uh, uh, climate change. And it results... By having this healthier soil, more biodiversity, more carbon in the soil, it also results in higher crop yields with higher nutritious value. So it helps us to feed the growing uh, world population. And that's why we think there, it is really high quality uh, solutions that we, that we offer together with the farmers, uh, of course. So what we mean with this high quality, again, it's the carbon dioxide reduction and removal and that has to be additional. So the farmer needs the proceeds, needs the extra income from selling those carbon credits or the reduction units in the decarbonization supply chain solution to be able to make the transition. To, make, to, to explain the word additional, I have solar panels on my roof. I don't need any subsidy to actually have a viable business case there because it is already... Uh, it pays off by having a, a, for having those solar panels. So if I would have credits because I emit less carbon dioxide equivalents because I have solar panels, I would consider that to be low, not additional um, uh, carbon credits and also therefore low quality. These credits, these reduction units that we have are additional and that's one part of being high quality. The other is that we aim for much wider benefits than just fighting, uh, uh, combating climate change with, uh, by reducing and removing carbon dioxide equivalents. We also want to improve biodiversity, which is so unbelievably important, or water management, or, or those kinds of things. And we do not, the third aspect, we do not want um, double counting to occur. That's why we have a register. Uh, we built a register right now, uh, which makes sure that we can prevent reselling from happening. So if a corporate, like the, the credits we sold last week, if a corporate buys those credits, he is not allowed or it is not allowed to resell it. And that sounds similar in many ways to some of the other approaches in the voluntary carbon markets, things that have been like proven necessary. And I was curious how you compare your approach to that of some of the, the standards programs and registries that people might be familiar with, uh, like Vera, like Gold Standard. Do you see like there as being similar? Or are you looking to carve out something different for the carbon bank? Oh, I think that the, the, the demand for high quality carbon credits, nature-based that is, is so high. So I, I really believe that the more diversity in suppliers, the better. But I think that we're both active on the voluntary carbon market, both active when it comes to nature-based solutions, but we focus only on food and ag. Uh, they have a broader focus. We worked with our clients. The farmers are our clients, and I think that's unique. We have 
we have land access. We have access to those kitchen table uh, talks with the farmers. We know them. Uh, they trust us. And that's, I think, unique. Also, the fact that we have the corporates so the off-takers in our books. That makes us uniquely positioned. But also, because we're such a large player in the food and ag sector, we also have a responsibility to act there. So that's the mirror of, of having this unique position. And we need VERA, Gold Standard, and other verification bodies to help us in the certification process. They are one of the independent players that can actually validate what we're doing. And I very much believe in, in those third parties, the, those independent parties, because as, I, as we talked about before, the, 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 the voluntary carbon market, especially those on soil sequestration and so on, is, is still so immature. It's still taking off. So we need to make sure that there is indeed high integrity, high quality in the market, no cowboys, and these verification bodies can actually help to set the standard high enough. That's great. And I wanted to return to a point that that you had uh, brought up earlier, because within the carbon bank approach, you have the carbon farmers adopting practices that produce credits that you issue. And the credits are then purchased by agribusinesses looking to decarbonize their supply chains and deal with their own scope three emissions. This seems to be a, a middle ground between corporations that purchase carbon offsets that might be wholly unrelated to their own carbon footprint. You know, it still represents uh, a ton of CO2 uh, reduced or removed from the atmosphere, but it might not really be related to what they're doing. It's very fungible. And a focus on, uh, you know, corporations that made net zero commitments strictly focused on reducing their own emissions directly. And so this seems like almost a middle ground between those two. And I was curious if you see it that way and how did you come to this idea? Well, we actually are most of, most of the times we're interested in working together with corporates that actually aim to reduce not just their own emissions, scope one, those of their energy supplier, scope two, but also aim to reduce well, actually decarbonize their entire supply chain, also look at, at scope three. Why is that? Because in a typical food and ag supply chain, most of the emissions are not with the corporate. Like 85% in a, like I said, typical uh, food and ag chain is emitted at farm level. If you do not include the farmers in trying to combat climate change and, and changing the food system, you will not be successful. So that's why we as Rabo Carbon Bank work on both sides of the carbon ballots and not just have the removal credits, but also the reduction credits. And, and that's quite innovative. I'm, I'm actually quite proud of that. So let me briefly tell you something about it. What we hear from those corporates who have pledged to the world that they want to be a net zero emitter in, let's say, 2030 or 2035 or whatever, they, they have that pledge actually means that they will be a net zero emitter, not just for scope one and two, but also for scope three. And once they realize that and they see that like 85% or even more is emitted on farm level, and at the same time, those farms are scattered all over the world, it is quite difficult for them. And then we work together uh, with those food corporates and set up large scale reduction projects at farm level. And for every ton of carbon dioxide equivalents that is not emitted because of that reduction project, the farmer earns one reduction unit. And the reduction unit, very much like a carbon credit, can be traded along the various supply chain players. 
and then the farmer has an extra revenue. So next to carbon credits, it also has the revenues from those reduction units. And at the same time, the corporate has those reduction units and can prove to the world that it actually lives up to their pledge. And the accountant will make sure that those reduction units are actually eligible under the accounting rules. So everybody's happy and especially the climate and our food production is more sustainable. So that's really that we next to those carbon credits also thought of something like reduction units. We did that, by the way, together with SustainServe. So it's not uh, like all the credits go to <laughs> go to Rabobank or, or the Rabo Carbon Bank. No, we did that to, together with our partners. And I very much believe that all of those nature-based solutions, we work together. And together we are stronger to make solutions like this. And, and that's really, really important. So that's why we work together with them. But the original idea of having a carbon bank was actually, it was the idea of Rabobank CEO, Wiebe, Wiebe Dreyer. And he came, he was in Davos, I think one or two years ago or something. And he came back with the idea of monetizing carbon storage on farmland. He came back and he went back to the bank and said, oh, I have this idea. I don't know what to do with it. And then he had like a couple of people, handful of people. And he said, come on, go, go work on the idea. And then a few months later, I was asked to work with that group and to accelerate and, and have more propositions. And that's how, for me, it all started. And now the Rabo Carbon Bank has grown, uh, both in number of team members. Uh, it's like uh, many more handfuls than, than just one. And, and as well as in propositions, we do not just have this carbon farming, soil sequestration, we have the decarbonization supply chain with the reduction units I was telling you about. We have a peatland proposition in the Netherlands. We have trees for farmers, that is, putting idle land back to agricultural purposes by using forestry in Brazil. And we have, especially for smallholders in developing countries, uh, agroforestry uh, proposition. So those smallholders are not clients of the bank, That's but it's very important if you want to change the food system and make it more ecologically efficient, you also need to work with those smallholders. And that's why we also have that proposition. We, we've also developed that proposition. And it's a lot that's occurred in the little more than a year since you become CEO of the Carbon Bank at Rabobank. But I, I also wanted to go back to, you know, you're not just the CEO of the Rabo Carbon Bank, you're also a professor of applied economics at the University of Amsterdam. And as an economist, you've been thinking about and researching ways to price and value environmental goods since you earned your doctorate. How do you see those ideas and research contributing to what you're doing today? And in what ways do you feel the, the time is right for putting a lot of those ideas you've been thinking about for quite some time into action? Well, yes, indeed. I wrote my PhD on the monetary evaluation of environmental goods, and I, I studied various methodologies from a theoretical point, but also did some empirical studies. And actually, now I'm putting them into practice, and it is a dream come through because, yes, we can do it in practice. And I see now that with all of the those IPCC reports and, and also because weather conditions are indeed changing, and people feel as though the climate crisis is closer to them as it, than it was before when I was writing that PhD, it was in the 90s. So yes, to your question, yes, the time is, I think, uh, it has come. The, the, the time is right. And we also, at the same time, all of us acknowledge, yes, we do need to change the food system. Now, on the one hand, 
we need to produce more food because the world population will start growing to, let's say, 10 billion people in 2050. And on the other hand, so we need to double the food production. And on the other hand, we need to half, at least half our emissions. So we need to become four times as ecologically efficient. And we can only do that by really changing the food system. But that comes at a price. And that price is external to the system. So we need to internalize that price. That's putting a price to carbon in order to make, to, to make the change happen. And, and then I can work on that using the knowledge that I actually had in my PhD is, well, as I said, it's a dream comes through. Come through. Well, it's a big agenda and, and a big ambition, having to rework the global food system to become four times more ecologically efficient, as you put it. And so, you know, as we wrap up, I'd just love to hear, you know, what's next for you and what's next for Rabo Carbon Bank over the next year or two? Well, I'm, I'm living the dreams. This year is a very exciting year. We go to, want to go to market in the autumn with both the carbon farming, soil sequestration and decarbonization supply chain proposition. And then we move from startup to scale up. And in the end... Our dream is to have more propositions go to market. We have an incubator in the carbon bank that makes sure that we keep innovating, keep developing new propositions. Some of them fail, some of them succeed. I hope we can pull them through to to the market phase to really start scaling up. But in the end, we have a dream and it's in 2030. We want to have removed and reduced 1 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents and we believe it can be done. And that's what we are working on. Thanks again to Barbara Barsma, CEO of the Rabo Carbon Bank. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week with our guest, Mara Mayadi, co-founder of Water Blockchain. We'll be discussing the role of blockchain and decentralized finance in supporting transparency, liquidity, and choice in the carbon markets. This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon. The trading of carbon credits can help companies and the world meet ambitious goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But how do we judge the quality of these projects? And how can we ensure that our investments are creating real value? At Base Carbon, we're focused on financing and facilitating the transition to net zero through trusted and transparent partners. It's time to focus on what's important. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by Abax. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees, and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next week.